discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same, we are constant. God is constant, God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is, that is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. We thank you, dear Lord. We worship your majesty, your honor, your glory. Now, like unto thee, thank you, dearest Jesus, our bridegroom. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you for loving us freely. Thank you, Lord. Come and wave your hands and just tell the Lord something in a few seconds. Something in a few seconds. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Can we please be seated? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to welcome your neighbor once again. Just welcome your neighbor. Welcome your neighbor. Hallelujah. We thank God for tonight. We know God has a word for us. Hallelujah. It's so wonderful to see all of you again. Especially our mother's mother, Pastor Yvonne's mom. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. As the icing on the cake. <laughs> mom, it's good to see you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yesterday we began with Romans 7 1 to 4. Romance and the grace. 
Romans 7, 1 to 4. And then the relationship between the husband and the wife is what will arrive at. Because Christ is the groom and we are the bride. But I began with the relationship between the father and the son. And the relationship between the father and the son is to bring us somewhere. Once we've taken our place as a son and we know the father's love for us, then we can take our place as the bride and be intimate with our groom, our bridegroom king. Praise God. It's like a father, it's like a son in the house who is raised by the father to marry. Or a, a bride who is prepared by the father to marry. There are different levels of intimacy, different levels of relationship. But once we have understood the fundamental relationship and known God as our father, we can even launch deeper and know Jesus as our, our groom and take our place as our bride, as the bride. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it will go on and on. On and on. So I want to continue from yesterday and then believe God to arrive somewhere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The greatest thing you can ever discover is to know the Father's heart. You have to know the Father's heart. That is the greatest need of the hour. Yesterday I said that the greatest need of the human soul is to know that God desires you. We need to know his heart. That's the greatest discovery we can ever discover. We need to know him. Knowing his heart is knowing his love. Because his heart is love. His heart is love. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Now, the church in Ephesus was the first church the Lord Jesus wrote, wrote and gave the letter to the angel to John to deliver to the church, the angel of the church, the leader, the pastor of the church. And the church, as we all know the story, Jesus commended them for their patience. You know, he said, Thou hast born and hast lived and hast not fainted from one to three, they are all dead. Commended them for many things they had, they had done. Let's go back a little and let me come for it. And let's see what it says. Verse 2. I know thy works and thy patience. Now this church had patience. Works, patience. Labor, patience. The word patience there is an, is an ancient Greek word. Hupamon, which means steadfast enduring. You know, they had endured steadfastly. Steadfast endurance. And how thou canst not bear with them that are evil. These guys were so good. Now Paul was with them for three years and taught them daily. And Paul was living and said that when I leave, grievous wolves shall come among you, not sparing the flock. So Paul knew the church against grievous wolves coming amongst them. And the church had done so well to even distinguish those who were evil and those who were even false apostles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The next verse. And has born. Ah, 
and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. These were people who were laboring for the harvest of souls. They were laboring. But look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Thank God he didn't say, thou hast lost thy first love, but thou hast left thy first love. Now, there's a difference between thou hast left thy first love and thou hast lost thy first love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's a difference. You see, you lose something accidentally, but you leave something delib- deliberately. You lose something accidentally, but you, you leave something deliberately. If you lose something, you, you don't know where to find it. But if you leave something, you know where to find it. So we have not lost the first love, but we've left it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But what is this first love? What is this first love? The Greek word is protos. Protos. Protos agape. Protos. The word is protos. Now, protos is where we get the word. When it is, it is anglicized, we have the word prototype. Prototype. Which actually means original. The blueprint, the model, it means the first of its kind. The first of its kind. Hallelujah. The first of its kind. The original. The blueprint. That is Protos. First love. Now, what is first love? What is the original love? What is the blueprint love? Prototype. The first of its kind. What is that kind of, what is that love? Praise God. First John chapter 4, verse 19. Now, we love him. Alright, when we read other versions, there is no him there. Because in the original Greek, there is no him. So you can read it this way. We love because he first loved us. We don't just love him, we love also everyone. Because he first loved us. We love, yeah, this ASV, that's right. We love because he first loved us. We love, say we love, love. because he first loved us. The word first is is the word prototype, protos, protos. The first of its kind, the blueprint, the original, the model. We love. Beloved, love did not originate from us. Love is not self-generated. Love is a reaction. The reason we are able to love is because we are first loved. Are you with me? It's here. The reason we are able to love is because not until you are loved, you cannot love. And it's true. Look at children. Look at children who are loved by their parents. When they go out of the home, they are able to do exploits because they know they are loved by the parents. Love is received. We receive because before we can give. So the reason we love is because he has loved us. He first loved us. Actually, the prototype, agape, never originated from us. We had filial. The original blueprint of agape is from the, the, the Father himself. The Father's love to us is a prototype is the first of its kind that entered the human race. It doesn't come from us. It's from him. 
the original love, that first love, the original love is God loving us, not we loving God. That is the first of its kind, the prototype. That is the standard. It's from Him. Then when we are loved, we are able to also react according to the love wherewith we have been loved. Hallelujah. We love because He first loved us. This first agape love originated from the Father. The blueprint is the Father Himself, is God's love. The blueprint of love is from Him. The model of love is from Him. The first of its kind is from Him. He loves us first. Hallelujah. We love because He first loved us. He gave us the blueprint of how love should be. Love is from the Father. Praise God. For instance, when you read Luke 15, 22, with the prodigal son, the father said to the servants, bring him the best robe. Bring him the best robe. In Luke 15, 22. And the best, what best is the same protus, the prototype, the original robe, the model, the first of its kind. What it means is that the prototype is that which is supplied by God himself. This robe was supplied by the father to the son. And we love because he first loved us. He first gave us the blueprint of how love should be. He first gave us a standard of how love should be. He first loved us. Hallelujah. The first love is originated from God. It's from him. The first of its kind. That love has never been seen by being realized in the human race. But he showed us that love. So one of the primary interpretations of Revelation 2.4 is that, you see, the church had lost the consciousness of God's love for them. And they were doing many things. Beloved, once you lose the consciousness of God's love for you, a time will come your love, your love will dry out. Because the only way we can love is because he first loved us. When we understand how we, we are first loved, then we can also love. When we are comforted, then we can also comfort. The church has lost the concept, the consciousness, the reality. They've lost the realization of how much God has loved them. And they have just come down to the level of works. Of course, what they were doing was still love, but they had left the prototype love, the original love. They lost the sense of the consciousness of God's love for them. And we must never lose it. Now, when you read Jude one twenty one, Jude said, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Say, keep yourself. Say, I keep myself. Say, keep yourself in God's love. That's what he's saying. Keep yourself. Now, the word keep in the Greek means to set your eyes on something to prevent it from escaping. Now, you watch something and don't even turn your eyes because by turning your eyes, the thing can escape. That's what it means. To keep your eye on something lest it escapes. It's like Elisha keeping his eyes on Elijah lest he's taken away. That's a Greek word for the word keep, actually. So you set you make sure you are in God's love. Because circumstances and challenges of life, the trials and the tribulations of modern life can cause you to lose the sense of the consciousness of God's love for, it, for you. Hallelujah. So just keep yourself gazing and know, nourish yourself knowing how much God has loved you. Because he has the blueprint, the original love. Praise God. And tonight I want you to understand the Father's heart. And it will help you in your day-to-day walk. It will liberate you. It will bring so much liberation. It will bless your life. It will give you confidence in life. 
it will cause you to win in the challenges of life by knowing the Father's heart. Sometimes when you're in a house and there's so much food in a house and have different people around and um, the food was prepared for them and it's actually for them and you, the father of the house or the mother of the house, you want people to enjoy the food because it was made for them and they are around, they are in the home yet they can't fully enjoy what is, what is there because they are afraid that maybe when they eat something, um, something I mean, you'll be displeased or something Sometimes you can live in a house and still not know the one you are with. Yeah. Your heart wishes so much for the person to be free and to just, I mean, be happy and be full of delight, but the person is not. How many of you have experienced that before? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to Luke chapter 15. Tonight, I want us to learn some lessons from the prodigal son. I know you are not prodigal, but <laughs> At least there, there are things we can learn. Nuggets we can reap and glean from the sacred truth of God. Luke chapter 15. Let's start from 11. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is the one speaking, and Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. Whenever Jesus begins and speaking and he says a certain man, it means he's quoting from what has happened. Like Luke 16, he spoke of the man who went to hell and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. He used the word certain. He was quoting from what actually happened in history. Jesus said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. And the younger said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that followed unto me. And he divided unto them his living. Hallelujah. And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods. I want to read from some versions. It said, give me the share of the estate. Give me the share of the estate. Give me the share of the estate that falleth unto me. The share of the estate. Now the word, yes, that's that. Okay, the share of the property. Right. The word share or portion actually means inheritance by birth. It deals with inheritance by birth. Inheritance by birth. So the younger of them went to the father and said, Father, give me the share of the estate. Give me my inheritance. My inheritance by birth. Just give it to me. And that's amazing. Now, can you see yourself right now going to your father? <laughs> now, you are telling your father to make a will and give you the inheritance. Now, that's what it means. In those days, inheritance, such inheritance was given when the person was deceased. When the person was deceased, then the inheritance would come to the children. But this time, the guy, the, their father was not dead. And this guy had gone to claim inheritance. You know, indirectly he's saying, I cannot wait for you to die. <laughs> so it was a total rejection of his father. 
His, to him, his father was as good as dead. I don't want you. What I want is your possessions. Just give it to me. Just give it to me. Give me my portion. It's amazing. <laughs> I watched them, I watched a movie like that. The guy was pestering his father. Was even threatening his father with a cutlass. If you don't give him the portion, write it away and give him my portion. Write it away. <laughs> That's amazing. You know what happened? Yeah, NIV said the share of the estate. That's good. Let's go back to King James. And he divided unto them his living. Not unto him, but unto them. Not unto him, but unto them. Because he had two sons. So what he did was that so he separated the inheritance and gave to both of them. What a man is this? He just separated the inheritance and gave unto them. Unto them. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bible said unto them his living. The word living is bios. Which means he gave unto them what he lived on. <laughs> what he lived on, he gave it to them. <laughs> his living. He gave unto them his living. The things he lived on, the things he survived on, he just distributed it unto them. He gave them all his properties. The things, even some of the things you have to use, you have to give it to them. He just his living, his bios, the things he lived on. And um, he gave unto them. Now, among the Jews too, if you understand the principle of the better right, you know that if you have seven children or six children, the inheritance is divided into, if you have six children, the inheritance is, is divided into seven. And the first one will have the double portion. The first one will have two. But if you have two sons, if you have two sons, the younger must have one third and the other must have two thirds. So he does what he did. He just separated and divided onto them the inheritance. That's amazing. That was total rebellion. Total rebellion. So I was saying, Father, I don't need you. Just give me the inheritance. And he, he walked away from the house and went his way. It's like we have parted. I may not see you because to, you, to me you are as good as dead. Because I have demanded the inheritance which will have come to me by your decease. It means to me you are dead already. But you are dead to me. That, that's what that, that's the implication. Praise God. And yeah. let's see what happened. Most of the times, a lot of people are, we are in such category. People want so much blessing before it's time. Of course, there are blessings within that, but there are some blessings that sometimes can come before it's time. Of course, we need to be blessed. But there are some certain blessings, if it, if it comes before it's time, now, the greatest tragedy in life is to, is to succeed before you are ready. You succeed before you are ready. And I always use this friend of mine. This friend of mine came to me and said, Man of God, pray for me. I nearly backslided. A Christian, he's a Christian leader. You know what happened to him? There's this vast land, too huge, that was being sold. And it was, it told him that if he's able to get someone to buy the land, they'll give him 1% of the money. Then he got a wealthy man in Ghana here, Dako Farms, the owner. Yeah. And he said he's going to buy the land. And this guy was so happy. And in fact, the 1% was in trillions. Huge land. And that's what he told me. He said, when the man said he was going to get the land, the instant he heard of 
his voice from the instant he gave that promise on the phone, that was the day he began to backslide. So he began to take, he took pen and paper, calculating what he used the money for. So he wake up in the morning and go to an um, east um, airport residential area looking for houses to buy. <laughs> from there he go to cantonment. From there, I mean, he was going to places. He said he did. A, he just wrote everything. I mean, did a detailed work how the money was supposed to be spent. He forgot about tithe. Forgot about the church. Forgot about everything. He just wanted to. I mean, amass wealth. And every day he woke up and forget to pray. Just dress up and just get into town looking for buildings and houses. See, he's a Christian leader. A Christian leader. He said for a month he was just backsliding. His deliverance came when the man took the phone and said, Say, I think I've lost interest. I can't buy it again. And the spirit of greed was exorcised from him. He was just delivered <laughs> outrightly. And that is when he was liberated. He became free. That's how it is. Sometimes he would say, God, I want all these things. Let them come to me. But the reason why sometimes God takes his time is that God cannot be tempted with evil. He cannot tempt with evil. Sometimes if he gives you too much, you may even backslide and leave him. Yeah. That's why you just have to increase your capacity. You just have to seek you first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. <laughs> yeah, just prepare your heart. Just love him. You increase your capacity. And when God brings the resources, your heart will not even be in it. Yeah, your heart will not even be in it. God brings you the cars and the planes and the lands and... You just want to be with Jesus. Those things are just serving him. That's true prosperity. Don't be like this guy. He went to his father. Father, you are not dead yet. But I wish you were dead. Because I need my inheritance. <laughs> I want it now. I, I, just give it to me. Then he totally rejected him. Denied him. Put him to public ridicule. Just left him. And let's see what happened to him. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took the state and took his journey into a far country. There wasted his substance on righteous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk. That the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. This is amazing. The Bible said that no man gave unto him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hmm. So this guy, he spent all that he had, and he was reduced to nothing. And the Bible said that he began to eat the pigs and eat the hacks. Actually, the original Hebrew word there is the, the carob pot. The carob pot. The carob pot was for the lowly and for the poor. There is a rabbinical statement that says that feed the Israelites with the carob pot and they will quickly repent. What it means is that it's a very low food. I mean, it's so ordinary for the poorest of the poor. And this one is for the pigs. The swile of Satan's pig's tea is, is for the pigs. And that is what he ate. And for a Jew to do that work is actually the lowest possible occupation ever. 
Because to the Jew, the swine, the pig is an abomination. It's an unclean thing. You don't give yourself. I mean, the Jew cannot do that. So he just went against what was an abomination to him. Did the lowest. Gave himself to pardon, prostitution, and all manner of death. Yeah. And he just fell and went down and down. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 19. All right. Sorry, verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, How many high servants of my father have bread, of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more ready to be called at thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. Now, back to 17. Let me show you something. He said, how many high servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? Now look at this guy. How he was totally reduced to nothing. Then he came to himself and decided to go back home. What provoked him to go back home? His stomach. Actually, this was, his repentance was not so genuine. It wasn't because he had missed the father. It wasn't because he had offended the father. Because he actually offended the father and wished him dead. And he never mentioned that, but had a rehearsed speech. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how he would be able to convince his father. Out of hunger, he said, ah, How many, look at how, how many hired servants has my father? And they have bread enough to spare. So out of hunger, he was awakened. It was self-occupation. It was selfishness. He went home because of selfishness. Because of his stomach. He gets something in his stomach. Yet he came to his father. Now this is Jesus telling the story. There are many people who come to church with, with wrong reasons. But don't worry. The Lord has set them. Many people fall themselves in this category. And some of you are here. I know you came here to find a girl. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notwithstanding, God used that as a bit to arrest you. Now you are an elder in the church. <laughs> you are here because a nice lady whom you realize belongs to this church whom you couldn't convince enough, and because she was in the faith, you knew that by association, by all means, you could win her. And through that, you came here. You see, don't condemn people who come to church with different motives. Never condemn them. Someone went to his father because of his stomach. <laughs> and he was totally and fully received of the father. Many go with wrong, There's so many reasons. That's why sometimes when we are preaching, the evangelistic message is so much at fault because sometimes when you are preaching and you go like, stop stealing, stop fornicating, stop this, stop this and come to Jesus. It's not a gospel. It's even worse than the law. Now, now <laughs> because if they can stop what they are doing, then they don't even need Jesus. Why are you telling them to stop something to come? That's not a gospel. The gospel says, come as you are. <laughs> and when you come, the living power of Jesus will transform you. 
It's Jesus who transforms. It's not they transforming themselves. Any transformation that is from yourself is not proper. It's not by his power. So when people can come with all sorts of, with the fire with all sorts of reasons, don't worry. Because the food from this prophet is so pure that when they receive it, though they came with wrong motives, the water of the world will be washing them. <laughs> Before they realize they are on their feet worshiping Jesus. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. So he went because of his stomach. Hunger. Let me go back to him. At least. Look at verse, uh, let's go back to verse 18. I'll rise. Verse 17. How many high servants? Uh, the father had servants. And in those days, <laughs> for one to have servants means the person is wealthy. Very rich. It wasn't common then. To have servants means that you were very wealthy. So the father was so wealthy. But come, come, let's, let's, let's go on. Let's go on. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. Now, this was the, what he taught in himself to go and tell the father. Now, when he meet the father, that's what he would say. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. Now, this thing shows the guy never knew the father's heart. He didn't know the father's heart. Because in going back, he knew that the father was not going to receive him as a son. But at best, he was applying to be a hired servant. It was a kind of application. I'm not worthy. He never knew the father's heart. The depth of the father's love for him, he never knew it. And that is how we are. He thought of being a hired servant. That means for a hired servant, the father was going to pay you. Because you have wasted his resources. This time, you are going to be on salary. And you are going to be treated as a servant, not as a son. And you are going to be on payroll. So, he, you see, he thought of works. Man is always thinking of using works and effort to merit God's favor and God's grace. We, we cannot conceive that the Father can be such kind. Even if we know, we don't believe it. It's too much for us. The flesh hinders us. So we feel that we have to just do something. We have to enlist effort, something to please the Father, so that through that we will merit his favor. So he went as a servant, but the Father received him as a son. He went to work to merit salary, some salary, something to find bread, but the Father didn't do that. Beloved, God is good. God is good. The Bible says that it is the goodness or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. This guy knew his father was good. That's why he went back. But he didn't know how good the father, how good the father was. He never knew the depth of his father's goodness. At least he knew his father was good. That's why he went back. But I came to announce unto you that God is good. Hallelujah. God is good. You have no idea. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that the goodness of God is his highest glory. From the Anglo-Saxon word, now the word God, in this, originally, in the old English word for God is not God. In the Anglo-Saxon, the word God is actually the good. Yeah. 
God was actually called the good from the original Anglo-Saxon English. The good. The good. The good. God is good essentially. God is good. Hallelujah. Alright, let's come to verse 20. That's where I wanted, you, I wanted to bring you. Yeah, this is the verse I want to stand on. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off. The word great way off means that he was at a distance. His father saw him. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the father saw him great way off. It seems to me that the father was always anticipating his return. It seems to me that once in a while the father will be looking. <clears throat> if per adventure one of these days his son is going to return. The father saw him. He didn't even see the father. The father saw him a great way off. The word great way off speaks of a distance. Long distance. He just saw him. The father saw him and had compassion. Say compassion. That's what I don't understand. The father had compassion. Someone who wants you dead. Someone who has rejected you totally. Someone who has just... And a guy, the prodigal son was in rags. The father saw him. He had compassion. Now listen, in the in Deuteronomy 21, this is what happens. According to the Jewish law, if a son rebels against the father that way, you know what happens? The fa- when the fa- son comes home, the father takes the son and brings him, before, brings him before the elders of Israel and the elders stone him to death. Yeah, that is what he deserves. <laughs> I, 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 I love this verse. This is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, if the father gave him what he deserved, he should have taken him, brought him before the elders of Israel, and he should stone him to death. To death. That's what he deserves. But the father didn't do that. He had compassion. Now the word, the word compassion here is a very sweet word. Splanchinizomai. Now this word means the upper viscera. It's the word for the internal organs. Internal organs, the upper viscera. It speaks of a deep, a deep feeling, you know, bowels of mercy. You know, I want to say it in tree, but the tree is deeper than the English. <laughs> deep, 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 you know. Actually, in the Greek, it means to suffer with. That someone is suffering and you just get so much that it's as if, remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them. And them that suffer adversity as you also being in the same body. That's what Hebrew said. It's like you are with them. You are feeling what they are feeling. Can a mother forget a sucking child? Or she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. So it felt deep, 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 deep feeling. And you know, in Ezekiel 1, 26-27, when Ezekiel saw God, God's, from God's waist to his head is color yellow. From God's waist to his leg is red. It's more fire, red fire. And God's throne is blue, sapphire. And God's upper part, 
apathosera is yellowish. You know, the word compassion speaks of the apathosera. And yellow is actually the color of the color of gold or yellow speaks of God's glory, God's character. You know, telling us that his character, compassion and love is his natural disposition, is his character. Praise God. God is always compassionate. God is always compassionate. God is always compassionate. The other day, Nineveh, God sent Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. That's the greatest revival in... <laughs> the greatest revival ever experienced in the Old Testament is the days of Jonah. By the most reluctant preacher. Preaching the shortest message. <laughs> but after preaching to Nineveh, he went to sit somewhere to watch what will happen to the city. And he wasn't willing. He was angry. Can't imagine. Yet it brought so much result that animals were even fast, fasting. Because Jonah couldn't understand. Because, you know, Nineveh is the capital town of Assyria. And the Assyrians took the Israelites into captivity. The first exile of Israel was led by the Assyrians. And they killed the Israelites. Some of them were buried in water alive. Some of them were dragged on rocks. They suffered. So Jonah just was, was remembering what had happened in Israel. He doesn't understand why God would show mercy to this wicked city. So he didn't want to preach. Why would God do that? <laughs> but God is compassionate. Mercy triumphed over judgment. Mercy rejoiced over judgment. And look at it. He had compassion and ran. Mokorama Sostadak. And run. And run. That is what blesses me the most. And run. And run. Now, let me ask you a question. How many times in your lifetime did your father run to meet you when you came from? (laughs) 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 Now, this is when that guy, now this is when that guy, guy had rebelled. I'm not talking about when you rebelled in a house. I'm talking about when you passed your SSE. Even when you passed your SSE, did your father run to meet you? Your father was standing and say, hey, hurry up and come. <laughs> Never. He would say, hurry up. He would let you run and come. <laughs> no matter what you do, I wonder if your father will run. See you in a distance and run to you. <laughs> <laughs> but the father ran. It's amazing. The father ran. The father ran. The father ran. Hmm. Now in the in the New Testament, there are different Greek words for run, different ones. You have different Greek words for run and race. But someone Paul said that knowing that in a, in a race, all run. Paul was talking about, the race was talking about was the, mar- the marathon, not the sprint. He was talking about the marathon because the Christian journey is a marathon. <laughs> a very long journey. You have to run and run and run and run and run. 
Yeah. But the run here is not the one used for marathon. It's the one used for the sprint. The father will run like one in Olympic, one who was participating in the Olympic game. Like let's say 100 meters, 200 meters, hit. <laughs> I mean, just look at the father's love. Run, pa. And the word great way of speaks of, in the Greek, the word great way of is, speaks of distance. So the father went 100 meters using both speed. Just to, if you know the Jewish culture, in the Jewish culture, if you, were, if you are 30 years old, you don't run publicly. This will have so many, uh, hey, seriously, <laughs> so many unnecessary, <laughs> they, have, they have so many, so many, so many, so many, so many things. So many things. <laughs> you don't run. If I father, you don't run. Because it's believed that when you run, it was forbidden for you to take your robe in your hands and run. It's, they said that it will reveal your underwear. So you don't run publicly. But it was against the Jewish, the Jewish law. So the father defied this Jewish law. And ran, I believe when he was running, people are running watching him. Don't think that you know what happened in the wilderness. No. <laughs> <laughs> people are running watching. The father ran. Sprint. Now when Jesus was saying this, he was revealing to us the father's heart. How the father feels towards us. Do you know that in the whole of the scriptures, God is never in a hurry. There's no place where God is in a hurry. God is always cool. Because God is not subject to time. Time is subject to God. So he's never in a hurry. He's always calm, always collected, always cool. But this is the only place that the Bible shows us that God was in a hurry. God was in a hurry to receive his son that was lost. To tell us the efficacy of his love. You have no idea how much God delights in you. You don't know. You, you don't know. You, you have no idea. The day you get to know you, weep for 24 hours. You, I mean, you will just, you wouldn't want anything to come between you and him. So how much he treasures you. He ran. He ran. Hallelujah. You are treasured of God. I mean, you are treasured of God. The Bible says that we are the people of his possession. We are a peculiar people. The Greek said, the word peculiar people in first two nine in the Greek means a personal treasure that is privately kept by a person. The Bible says we are his jewels. In that day, when I shall declare my jewels, Malachi 3 verse 17, the Bible says we are the stones of his crown. It's so amazing. You are so expensive that God wouldn't want to lose you. You are so expensive that God wouldn't want to lose you. God has a profit-making mentality. God bought you. He are bought with a price. 
and you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. Because the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man has found, goeth thereof and selleth all that he had to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking one pearl of great price, whom when he had found, went and sold all that he had to buy that pearl. You are that pearl of great price. The Bible says you are the pearl of great price. Can you? This is you. That in the ages to come, he might show what is the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us by Christ Jesus. My yoke is to that. Ephesians 2 7. That in the ages to come, I love this verse. That in the ages to come. Beloved, there are ages to come. Even in the eternities, there are ages. There are ages to come. And God is going to show us as, his, as a trophy of His grace. When an athlete has finished the trains for all, all the months and years and runs the race and wins, wins the trophy, he takes it and lifts it up this way. That's the implication of this verse. Look at us now. You have your own challenges, your own weaknesses, so many things. But see, God's grace is working through us in such a measure that at last, God is going to take us as the trophy of His grace and show to the generations and ages that at last, my grace triumphed. I know you have challenges, but you are going to win. <laughs> grace is going to triumph. <laughs> oh, the word, no, the word exceeding is the word hyperbole. Hyperbalo. Hyperbalo. When it is translated, we get the word hyperbole. Now, hyperbole is a figure of speech. How do you call it? Literal device. You have always been a shark. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, it's for exaggeration. Eh? But this word is not an exaggeration. It's too. Hyperbalo means a throwing beyond your wildest imagination. A throwing beyond your wildest imagination. That's what exceeding. Exceeding. My. Riches of his grace. When someone, something is rich, it, what does it mean? The thing is in abundance. Is that not so? Plenty. <laughs> but at the same way, it's when you see a wealthy man, he has plenty of money. A rich man has plenty of money. But. Something can be rich if it's also rare or scarce, like diamond. It's so valuable, it's so precious, it's so rare, like gold. Yeah. Those two words make up this word, riches. Now, but these two words are contrary to each other. If something is in abundance, it means it is, it is rare. <laughs> but with God's grace, it is both rare and it's in abundance. <laughs> It's amazing. And it is, it is, the ex, it is exceeding. And exceeding riches of his Christ. God has loved us so much. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's go back to verse 20. And he ran. And he ran. And ran. As the father's hand. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And fell on his neck and kissed him. You have the amplified version here. King James doesn't. No, it's not even amplified. 
But when you read it in the Greek, it says, and kissed him again and again and again. Uh-huh. And I found that some versions also use that. Kissed him again and again and again. Amplify said, fervently. You know, fervent kiss. Fervently. The man had missed the son so much that he kissed his neck. And in the Bible, the kiss of the neck signifies forgiveness. Yeah. The kiss of the neck means you are forgiven. What, what does it mean? His son was forgiven before he confessed anything. No, he had not said anything. We don't, we don't even know whether he has even repented. But he first offered him forgiveness. That's what I don't understand. I just don't understand. I don't understand. Before David, when David went to Bathsheba, before he repented, the prophet came to tell him how much God has forgiven him. I don't understand. I don't understand the father's love because I don't think I can do that. I want to see you in tears. I want to see you wallowing in the mud, crying. Cry, cry, cry more. To see that there is genuine repentance. Cry more. Godly sorrow, work at repentance. Cry more. <laughs> but this man offered him forgiveness before he said anything. Now, Jesus is telling us who the Father is. He came to reveal the Father. And he's telling us who the Father is. It seems to me that with our human upbringing, it is not possible to understand this until by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's too much for us to comprehend. Because how? That is why if you are a father in your home, you have to represent the father to your children. Because the, you, are just, you are just like the father before them. I've spoken to people and they think that God is like their father. They think that the way their father treated them is the way God will treat them. A lot of people like that. They think of the father in terms of, so as a parent, we are representing the father. The mother is representing the maternal side of God. The father is representing the paternal side of God. But God has his maternal side. That's why he's the El Shaddai, the breasted one. He's the one with the womb and the breast in Deuteronomy. It's very... The words we speak to our kids, our children, we just must represent the Father. We can easily misrepresent Him. Because we are representing who the Father is. So a lot of children feel that they are loved by their, ch- their parents when they pass the exams. It's, it's wrong. It's wrong. We shouldn't feel, make them feel loved only when they do good things. Our love must be unconditional. <laughs> Otherwise, your child or son will seek to please you, and it may end, it may become something else. Ah, but he embraced him and kissed him. Kissed him. Again. The first one was not enough. Then the second one. Then the third one. Heavenly. Wow. And look at what happened, 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned. So the father showed him love before he said, Father, I have sinned. <laughs> the father offered him forgiveness before he said, Father, I have sinned. You understand? 
It is the goodness of God that leads thee to repentance. The more you see that he is good, the more you are able to repent. Uh-huh. Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Now this statement is what the, the father never wants to the father never want to hear this word. I'm no more worthy. Never say that when you are praying. Never say that when you are taking the communion. Never say that I'm no more worthy. Can Hagen of blessed memory said he was taken to heaven and he was at the Jesus' feet? And Jesus said, Stand up. And Can Hagen said, Lord, I'm not worthy. And all of a sudden you could see Jesus' voice changed. Come on, stand up. I made you worthy by my blood. Look into my eyes. <laughs> Look into my eyes. Yeah. I made you worthy by my blood. You know, that's what religion can do. See, oh, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. You know? But he made us worthy. I read a book. A certain lady was taken to heaven. And when she was taken to heaven, no, Jesus visited her. And they were talking and she started addressing talking about what people have done, their shortcomings and the faults of other children of God. As she spoke it, said Jesus became so wild and rose up and did this. Jesus just did it. said, never say it. I handled all that by my cross. Never point the shortcomings of my people to me. It's amazing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hmm. Amazing. We are not worthy in ourselves. In ourselves we are nothing. In Christ we are everything. In ourselves, what are we? Nothing. In Christ, we are complete in Him. Not in yourself. It's in Him. It's in Him. It's in Him. It's in Him. When an Arantri stood before the Father, in heaven I with the bride, Jesus, the, the Father said, Anna, the father was looking to Anna's eye. Anna, you are totally untrustworthy. <laughs> Anna, it is my son. It is him. It is him. Anna, it is him. It is him. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's him. Hmm. God bless you for listening. Keep listening to the word as Christ is made the center of your world. For prayer and counseling, call 024-563-8314 or send an email to info at christworldinc.com. God bless you.